With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! The Lightning Round Podcast is back for Jamie, who is at lightning underscore round. I am your other host, Garrett Sisti, which is the same on Twitter. We're going to talk about this week two loss in Detroit. Also, there's been some rumors about Jalen Ramsey, which we'll get to as well. But first, as always, these donations. So the first donation comes from Josh Albrechtson, who simply says, hours of entertainment. So thank you, Josh. We appreciate the generous donation and the consistent donations. Uh, so thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, for us, it's hours of uh, work. But for you, I'm glad it's entertainment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next up is Jack Thompson, who says, one of the best things about football being back is more episodes of the Lightning Round podcast. Thank you, Jack. Uh, we've been a little late the last couple weeks, but we appreciate you all continuing to listen. And l- the last donation is from William Preston Walker. Um, Got to watch out for those guys with three names, by the way. But we like him because he donated. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he says, well, we're back to status quo, Chargers football. Let's drown our sorrows with crap beer. I'm, I'm thinking maybe he meant craft beer. No, I, I think that was the <laughs> obvious wordplay there, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Is our pass rush overhyped or have our have our last several matchups been against better than expected O-lines? The fact that they didn't get a sack on Sunday uh, with Taylor Decker out was a little bit surprising for both Bose and Ingram, but they've actually been really good. And uh, last week they each got a sack against the Colts offensive line, which is one of the best in the biz, which we talked about on last podcast. So I don't think they're overrated. Uh, Obviously it's too early to tell on that with two games, but these guys have been really disruptive and we'll kind of get to it. Um, Even though the numbers didn't show it on the stat sheet, Bosa was really good both in the, as a pass rusher and especially in the run game. So they're still having their effect on the game, but you're not seeing the big sack numbers quite yet. Yeah. I think the sack numbers will come. You're seeing uh, some receivers get open in the middle of the field early, so quarterbacks are able to get rid of the ball a little bit sooner, and they're not getting home. Uh, even when they're blitzing, they're not getting home because of how quickly the ball is coming out. Uh, but those guys played – I mean, the, the defensive line as a whole was night and day better against the Lions than it was against the Colts, uh, yep. particularly against the run. But they did apply some pressure, uh, not a whole lot of interior pressure, but they were getting pressure off the edge. There were a few plays where Bosa was chasing Stafford from behind. So those guys played really well. And the work, and I know we're going to talk about it here in a minute, the work they did against the run, um, you know, Bosa and Ingram and Nuosu setting the edge and Mebane inside and even Justin Jones flashing a few times inside. Uh, that de- that defensive line looked so much better in week two. And I think, you know, we kind of talked about it last week. I thought they were winded by halftime in the first game, 
and it seems like they're playing themselves into shape. So I think the best is definitely to come with this group. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to get to it because uh, even though they lost, there were some good things we we're going to talk about and we'll get to it. But um, before we get on to uh, this big rumor mill with uh, Jalen Ramsey, uh, the Chargers actually made a pretty significant move today. Yeah, so everybody knows that Hunter Henry um, got hurt against the Colts last week and there is a void at tight end and there is a tight end out there that I think everybody wanted the Chargers to sign a guy who has shown an ability to make plays in the middle of the field, who some might even think is a big-time weapon in the red zone, uh, can make third-down plays, a guy who was a free agent who you know, is a little up there in age, but many still think can make plays. The Charger went out, and they made the move we've all been waiting for. They signed tight end Lance Kendricks. they sure did and very nice troll there um, Chargers (laughs) fans on Antonio Gates Uh, and uh, absolutely uh, they signed Lance Kendricks which uh, of course means that they've now got a uh, somewhat receiving weapon now Um, it seems like when they went out and signed Virgil Green who was supposed to be that uh, high-end tight end, too. He is nothing more than a blocking tight end now. So uh, they need to get a little bit more versatile at the tight end spot. Uh, Colkin not getting uh, targets at all either. Uh, both uh, run-blocking tight ends at this point. Uh, adding Lance Kedricks, uh, <laughs> now a receiving weapon. And, um, you know, uh, we'll see if he's got much left. But uh, obviously offers more than what they currently have on the roster. Yeah, I mean, Colkin's hardly even getting on the field. I think he played 16 snaps week one and 24 snaps uh, week two, I think a lot of people thought they might go with more multiple tight end sets with those two to help with the pass blocking. That's not what happened. They actually spread the, the Lions out a lot more than what they did against the Colts in week one, uh, getting more weapons on the field, um, kind of taking away from that pass rush the Lions have a little bit. So now they get somebody who can hopefully make a few catches here and there, help move the chains every once in a while, and kind of add some diversity to that group because Green and Culkin are guys who – you know, they can make a play here or there, and Green was actually open on uh, Rivers' last throw, the interception in the end zone at the end of the game, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later, but he was open in the middle of the field, probably could have picked up a first down and more, and Rivers opted not to throw to him, so that kind of says a lot about wh- what Rivers is thinking about his tight end group right now and, and who he trusts. Yeah, so let's uh, let's talk about what uh, most people want to hear, and that is not about the loss on Sunday, but about... Uh, a uh, star cornerback that's uh, not too happy right now. On Sunday, we saw the Jaguars corner Jalen Ramsey go at it with his head coach, Doug Marone, uh, which was followed, of course, by a trade request by Ramsey's camp. Uh, Most of you know that by now. Of course, the Chargers are linked to Ramsey because Derwin James and Ramsey played at Florida State. They've talked about wanting to play together in the NFL. Uh, They're really close off the field. Some complaints have been uh, with Ramsey's frustration playing a lot of zone in Jacksonville's defense, wanting to do a lot more man-to-man. And right now the rumors are the Jaguars are asking for two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. Jamie, are you giving up two picks for Jalen Ramsey if you were the Chargers GM? Am I giving up two first-round picks? No, probably not. Um, Really? Okay. I like Ramsey. I think he would help. But – I think two first-round picks is an awful lot. That kind of cripples your ability to to continue building the roster with those first-round picks two years in a row. Uh, You're talking about giving up 10 years of control for a guy who's about to enter the fifth season of his rookie deal, and you may or may not even be able to re-sign because you know he's going to be looking for big-time bucks. 
Um, I I would be thrilled if they went out and got him. Um, you know, maybe they can maybe they can throw in a guy like Gordon and, and and a first or something like that, and and sweeten the pot somehow that way with some maybe some late round picks. But two first round picks for a corner who might be here for a year, maybe two at the most. I I just I don't know. That seems pretty rich to me. What do you think? I'm giving up two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey. I just don't see how you're going to get a better player in the first round than Jalen Ramsey. And I get, you know, the five years of control with the two first round picks, but you know, theoretically the chargers are going to have a late first round pick anyway. And, uh, you know, at that point you're kind of getting a high second round pick really, if you're nitpicking. And if you get Jalen Ramsey, you know, also theoretically it's getting even deeper down that first round too, because you're getting better. And, you know, uh, it just seems like the chargers, have so many question marks. I mean, they had it even when Michael Davis was healthy, but subtract him and Trevor Williams now, you know, uh, we'll talk about where they're at right now, but uh, the teams even acknowledge the fact that they're really thin at cornerback. Uh, the Chargers would have Jalen Ramsey for two more years. They have to pay uh, $7.4 2019, uh, 13.7 in 2020 for his fifth year. And uh, if you're looking forward, Casey Hayward signed until 2022. He's going to be 32. He's going to be up there when his deal expires. And then, you know, if the Chargers really want to compete with teams like the Patriots and the Chiefs passing attack, you got to combat it some way, and especially when the uh, Patriots go out and sign a guy like Antonio Brown. So, I don't know. When you look at this thing, it seems like, We've talked about how Philip Rivers' window was closing, and this would be the move that kind of uh, you know maybe maybe helps out before the blinds begin to shut. Because uh, it seems like with two first round picks, yeah, I mean <clears throat> you're you're missing out on those potential players. But I, I'm I'm with you. I would dangle Melvin Gordon out there too, see if they take the bait. I mean Leonard Fournette's averaging three point seven yards for his career in yards per carry. So uh, not very effective. And, you know, if I'm a GM, I'm not taking that deal. But at least see if they take the bait. And if they do, then uh, maybe you've got some added bonus there. But the thing that really it starts to come down to, and um, when Jalen Ramsey signs, and uh, we can both agree that Telesco is not the guy that's going to go out and take this swing here. But, uh, you know, it's starting to become more and more apparent that Tom Telesco's kind of cautious approach to free agency might start to hurt this team a little bit. Now, you know, I know he's gone after some of the key free agents. We talked about when they signed Orlando Franklin. We loved the signing when they first had it. He was the best offensive lineman in the group. He was the best guard of that class. Uh, we both loved him a lot. Of course, the wheels fell off. Who knows what happened there? Uh, did not work out. Travis Benjamin, who neither of us liked, but was definitely one of the hottest wide receivers in that in that offseason, uh, they went out and got him. But honestly, I mean, they haven't really taken any big swings. Trading up for Melvin Gordon was somewhat ballsy, but he only moved up two spots. So it's not like, you know, they leveraged their draft picks like the Chiefs did for Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, I'm not saying Telesco needs to go out and sign every key free agent. that we, I mean, we've talked about it, you know. That's not fiscally responsible. This isn't Madden. That's not something they could do. That's not smart business. But it just seems like right now, as we're going into the season, and you know, I'm not I'm not overreacting, but just you know, as something to keep an eye on, it just seems like Telesco's kind of keeping this team good enough. You know, this offseason was kind of a good example of it. Right now, they got to sign Lance Kendricks because 
Like we mentioned in the offseason, Hunter Henry can't has proven that he can't stay healthy. Again, he gets, gets injured, and he had no backup plan for when and if Hunter Henry gets injured. We talked about offensive tackle. Uh, is throwing Trey Pipkins at offensive tackle the answer? No, because he's a project. And we're starting to see that for the, through the first two weeks, that they have issues there. Interior of the defense, they play better in week two, but they only went out and got Jerry Tillery when they needed to get at least one or two different defensive tackles, especially on the interior. We've talked about a lot of these things. We talked about how the corner was skinny. We thought they needed to upgrade there. Uh, they got Nasir Adderley, which was great at free safety, but it just seems like all the holes in the offseason weren't significantly addressed and Tom just kind of sat on his hands this offseason. And, you know, this isn't a type of move that Tom makes. But at some point, it seems like he's got to start to push the chips in, right? Either I mean, you're, when, when yeah, either you you're all, all in, in or you're not. Yeah. Either you're selling out to get Rivers a championship or get yourself a championship or blow it up and start over because right. what's the point? Yeah, and developing your guys is great. I'm not saying what he's doing is wrong, but... You know, at some point, you got to push it a little bit forward. Right now, you're just kind of keeping them good enough, like I talked about. In the short term, this team needs a jump start. I mean, I'm not, I'm not panicking because of this loss with the Lions at all, because I, I think, I still think this is a playoff team, even, even with this bad loss in Detroit. But still, at, at some point, with all these injuries, there's got to be something that kind of fires this team up. Just developing your guys and hitting on a couple draft picks is great, and picking up some key veterans is nice, but, he's got to go in sometime. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, I think your argument makes a lot of sense, you know, especially when you start looking at how he struggled to build an offensive line the entire time he's been here. Um, he just hasn't, you know, he's thrown some money at it here and there, winds up cutting guys that he signs. They just don't seem to be able to put that, that group together consistently. Um, Absolutely. With with Rivers being, you know, 37, 38 years old, you're starting to think, you know, what does he have? Two, maybe three years left at the most. Uh, what's his next deal going to look like? Is that going to be a two-year deal? Maybe a three-year deal with an out after year two? Uh, are you trying to win your win big your first couple of years in the new stadium to try to lure new fans in? Uh, are, you, are you in a transition period? Are you just happy to have Rivers and you're, you know, kind of sitting back and waiting, hoping he's going to pull things out for you? kind of pull the rabbit out of the hat, which is what he's been doing pretty much his whole career. Uh, or are you going to give the guy some help? And I, it's obvious they need help on the defense. It's obvious they need help in the secondary. They desperately need help at corner. We, we've been saying they should they should have drafted a corner, what, for two two years now yeah. at least. Uh-huh. Um, ever since it became obvious they couldn't, they couldn't rely on Jason Verrett, we've been saying you got to go out and find yourself a corner. And – you know they keep bringing in the undrafted free agents, but they, outside of Craig Megger, they really haven't done anything to fix the corner position in the draft. And you know Nasir Adderley is nice, but he obviously doesn't know the defense, or he'd be out there. He's not helping right now, except for on special teams. So you need to figure out something because Faison's not going to not going to get the job done. You know Jeff Richards isn't going to get the job done, and this kid they signed last week. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Not that it matters. I don't even think he saw the field last week. Um, what's the kid they just signed, the former 49er? Yeah, um, Dante Jackson? Don, Dante Johnson. Johnson, Dante yeah, Johnson. Dante Jackson plays for the Panthers. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Different I Dante. wish we had him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, Dante Johnson probably won't see the field unless they're desperate, and they're borderline desperate as it is. So there's certainly an argument there there to be made to go out and try to make something happen for Ramsey. 
Obviously, the relationship he has with Derwin, you know, makes it enticing to bring him in. The talent makes it enticing for to bring him in. You know, maybe you know with Casey's deal coming up in a couple of years, maybe there's some room to restructure and find some extra room to keep Jalen around. Um, I don't see the Chargers being the team to go all in with two two first round picks. You know, maybe you can move some pieces around. Who knows? Maybe they love Nick DeZubner and Travis Benjamin, and you can throw them <laughs> in and get a deal done. Uh, or you know, some some mid to late round picks. I don't know. Uh, it's worth a phone call. It's worth seeing if they're going to come off their asking price. But two first-round picks is pretty steep for a team that values its draft picks the way the Chargers do. Um, and I guess the other question is, will you have five years of control with those first-round picks? Because with the new CBA coming up, are they going to do away with the fifth-year option? Are they going to change the way the franchise works for these guys? Uh, there's There are some changes that could be looming with the way these rookie contracts are working. So maybe that changes how you view those picks. And maybe it's worth it to just dump those chips in, go after him, and make a run for the next two years and see what happens. Uh, it would certainly create a buzz in L.A., and it would give them an equal footing, if not a leg up, with the Rams in their in their backyard. So there's definitely an argument to be made there. Um, I'd love to see him here. I'm just not sure if that's the asking price and that's what they're, that's what they're sticking to. I just It doesn't seem like that's the kind of a move that Telesco and the Chargers are inclined to make. Oh, no, I don't think it's a Telesco move at all. And I guess, and I'm not saying like, hey, if they don't sign Jalen Ramsey, let's go like torch the building, you know, like let's not go with uh, pitchforks and torches and go towards uh, Telesco. No, I'm not saying anything like that. It's just, it, it's frustrating because the Chargers need a move and they need to get to themselves to that level, the Patriots and the Chiefs right now. And they just seem like they're you know, they're just behind and they're lagging and it just doesn't seem like a move Telesco will make and he won't make it. And um, if I was GM, I would definitely do it. I mean, if you've got two or three more years left of Rivers and that's his window, why not use the two years with the best corner in the league and then a guy who looks like he's back to his old self, Casey Hayward, and improve your defense because that's what you think is going to win you games anyway. Why not make them worlds better by adding a guy like Jalen Ramsey for at least two years? So uh, for me, it makes too much sense, and it should be done. And, you know, it's a it's a position that they need depth at anyway. And, you know, they've got an aging quarterback. I just don't want to see Rivers years wasted, you know? Like, hey, great, yeah. this is great. I mean, we're developing guys. Cool, man. Joy Bosa has really upped his game, especially as a run defender. Um, you know, Derwin looks like he was about to take another step forward. I mean, there was there's a lot of great guys that are making steps forward, but when when are they going to start knocking at the door, you know? Yeah, it it seems like at least on some level they were lulled into a false sense of confidence after that 12 and 4 season last year, and they just felt like all we have to do is maintain and we're fine instead of looking at what happened in New England in the uh in the divisional round and realizing that there were serious changes they had to made. I mean, granted they tried to address the interior of the defensive line. They, they tried to upgrade the linebacker room. And I think they've made some, some strides in those areas, but man, that cornerback group short of Casey and Des is frightening Yeah, and it's not getting any better anytime soon. Uh, even if Davis and, and uh, Trevor Williams. Williams come back, who knows what that group is going to look like, how they're going to be able to play. I mean, Williams has barely seen the field since 2017. So to count on him to come back and make a difference at this point seems kind of foolhardy. 
Yeah, and he's probably not coming. I mean, you know, good money is he's not coming back because they put Derwin James on IR. They just put Adrian Phillips on IR. And they've got Trevor Williams on IR, and they can only bring back two. And it's an easy bet that Derwin James and Adrian Phillips are the two you bring back. Assuming they're ready in time, yeah. Right. So uh, pretty good shot that Trevor Williams misses a whole season again. And even if so, this this cornerback group is uh, real light. And, you know, it's not – this isn't a result of the loss in Detroit. You know, it kind of sounds like we're getting a little doom and gloom, and I don't know. We just kind of took a – I took a left turn there, and I'm not (laughs) – but um, (laughs) it's like Jalen Ramsey makes too much sense, man. Like we're we're all like this is the best corner in the league – how can you not do that with a guy that's holding out like Melvin Gordon? You can get basically his contracts off the books and try to trade him, and you've got a somewhat good trade asset, some picks. You've got an aging quarterback. I mean, it all kind of lines up, and you sit back and go, but that's not a move Telesco's going to make. So you get and, a little discouraged. And then you see the news, and you see that they're apparently talking about potentially trading for Kenyon Drake, which— I, <laughs> What is happening? I mean, it's I, like the, Telesco only wants to address the positions that he wants to address, not the ones that the team actually needs. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I mean, unless, you know, a minor trade for Drake is the precursor to a much bigger deal involving Gordon, and they just want some depth at that RB3 spot, I, I don't get why you'd be looking for, for Drake. You know, it's not like he offers you a whole lot more size at the goal line um, over guys like... Uh, Eckler and Jackson that he he could fill a specific need there so I I don't know why they're looking at him unless they think that they might have something cooking for Gordon that might necessitate finding a, a third running back just to provide some extra experience depth yeah I, I do not get that at all and I've I've completely ignored that rumor because I can't believe <laughs> that they're actually going after another running back cannot believe it so uh, let's go ahead I mean we've kind of talked about this game a little bit let's go ahead and uh, get into it but I mean if you're if you're the GM and you're not Telesco, are you giving up two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey? You, Jamie? I might have just talked myself into it. Okay, there you go. Same here. So Lightning Round Podcast approves. Go out and get Jalen Ramsey. Now let's move on to this Lions game. Uh, but we're not uh, saying it's going to happen. Let's be really clear about oh, that. Oh no, that's why I preface it as Jamie, not yeah. as Tom Telesco. No, it's, we've it's not we've going to happen three or four times. That it's definitely <laughs> not Tom Telesco's mo to go and do, make a move like this. Yeah, don't go out there and say the lightning round said it's going to ha- it's not going to happen. <laughs> okay? No, we did not but, say that. We want it to happen, but uh, we, it's not going to happen. We don't have a source at a gas station somewhere saying that this is going to happen Ooh. and we're just not, you know. <laughs> and we're <laughs> and we you know, we're we're not willing to put our chips on the table cuz we don't want to ruin our credibility. Right. The, and also that not be going making something up and we don't make yes. stuff up. So No, we don't make stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> we're not that type all right so let's, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to this lions game <laughs> which was kind of the equivalent of like a gas station burrito because it was really boring and bland uh we were talking before this and it burned uh, like hell yeah and it burned yep. like hell <laughs> absolutely <laughs> thank you uh perfect cherry on top there um for that analogy the um this game was pretty boring and uh there's a lot i mean there's some to take away from it but this was a snoozer even the chargers lost and it was late and everything and it came down to the last play which uh rivers threw away but uh this was a boring game uh not much happened and we'll give our own storyline so jamie uh, you've got three i've got three uh, what's your first storyline from this game 
Well, I think it's hard to watch this game and come away with without realizing how many self-inflicted wounds the Chargers had in this game that ultimately cost them a chance to win it. I mean, you look at the the litany of things that they did not do, that they did not execute on, two missed field goals inside of 40 yards, nine penalties for 71 yards, including two penalties that erased long touchdowns and another penalty, thank you, Nick DeZubner, that erased oh. a fumble on a punt that would have given the Chargers the ball, I think, inside the 20 at the time, yeah, from if Rochelle. I'm not mistaken. A goal line fumble, a late INT from Rivers, who basically decided to throw a 20-75 ball, not even a 50-50 ball, to Keenan <laughs> in the end zone. Something that I think most of us saw coming after the way he was staring him down all day long. Where's the other 5% at 20.75? Didn't I say 25.75? Oh, I don't know. I heard 20. (laughs) I thought I said 25. I meant 25.75. The other five is fuck it. It's the in between. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) We're having fun today, Jamie. We are having fun. We're on a roll, man. Let's keep going. Um, I love this. Uh, and then you have the complete lack of urgency on the final drive where, you know, a veteran quarterback of, what, 15, 16 years takes a delay of game penalty inside the, at, right after the two-minute warning. Yeah, and what Just, about that drive going into halftime? Talk about lack of urgency. Yeah, I you know, none of it made sense. They were just – it just seemed like they were sleepwalking through the whole game. You know, we talked a lot last year about how it seemed like they always had that, like, Midway into the second quarter, they had that like fuck it moment where they just reached a point where they were like, these guys can't stop us. Let's just go score some points and put this thing away. And they never got there in this game. You know, they tried to race down the field, quote unquote, race down the field and, and score some points before halftime, which shocked me given the field position they started with and how the game had gone to that point. Um, but they sleepwalked through the final drive. Uh, you know, they, they get that delay of game penalty. There was just no no continuity, no execution. Uh it, it just seemed like the team in general never woke up. Never never got out of bed that morning and they just kind of rolled into the game and just did a walkthrough basically for for 3 hours and it was painful and you can't do that. You can't do it in the NFL. You certainly can't do it on the road. Um not when you're dealing with a time change and you know, playing the game earlier in the day than what, than what you're used to. Uh, they just, they set themselves up for failure pretty much from the start. They tried to sit on a lead of seven to seven points, um, you know, for most of the game, it seemed like, and it just wasn't, wasn't a good game. So they, they put themselves in a bad position. And yes, there were some bad calls. I thought the call on Inman was atrocious. I thought the call on Tevi was bad, although I, you can kind of understand where the Tebby call came from because he was behind him and he tried to make a block and he put himself in a bad position and basically forced the umpire to call it. But I didn't think it was a penalty, but you can see what real time, you know, live speed, what, why the, um, why the field, the uh, umpire, the umpire, why the referee would have wanted to make that call. Um, but they just kept putting themselves in bad positions and they, you know, we've seen them overcome those bad positions. It just didn't happen this time. So this was all on them. You know, it's we, we see rule number one here in the lightning round podcast. We don't blame the officials. So yep. if that's what you're looking for here, you're in the wrong place. It's not going to happen. The chargers have nobody to blame, but themselves with all these errors that I mentioned. And, uh, these are all things that they can fix and they've shown the propensity to fix things like this. 
and over the last couple of years under Lynn. So hopefully these are all things that get cleaned up and they play a much more efficient game against the Texans this week. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Yeah, and, you know, of course, that was something I was going to talk about too, but uh, you mentioned most of it, and the fact is they just didn't execute, and they lost that game. A couple other things other than all the other things that you've mentioned seem like they leaned on Ty Long a little bit too much. You know, he's obviously the punter, doesn't have that kicking experience. I wanted him to kick twice on short third down in yardage, and uh, they opted to go with the kicker, and I and I get it. He was uh, money in the first game, did go up, good up until halftime, but maybe should have gone for it a little bit too often. And, and quite honestly, I think the coaching staff kind of put them in some bad spots, especially Gus Bradley, who I think was continually putting this defense um, – at a, in a bad spot with some of their weak links. You know, you can watch and see where this team is suffering right now on defense, and Gus isn't doing anything about it, and teams are just attacking it right now. So, you know, uh, like you mentioned, I mean, under Lynn, they've been able to turn this thing around. Um, I, I mentioned it on Twitter, but something we've talked about, you know, last year uh, during Week 11, they played Denver. They basically let Case Keenum walk down the field for 76 yards uh, to win that game with a McManus field goal under two minutes. It was just a terrible showing by that defense. You just played prevent the entire fucking time. It was so frustrating that game. Uh, this feels a lot like that game, but they ended up going twelve and four that year, going in the playoffs and getting a win. So this isn't the end all. I don't even think this team is regressing at all. I just think they got caught in a bad spot. They didn't execute. Uh, you know, they usually find ways to win, like they did last week. A bunch of hiccups let the Colts back into the game, but then they beat them in overtime. You know, they went for that kill shot in overtime, got the touchdown, game over. This time around, they just did not execute. Uh, you can blame the injuries, you can blame the refs, but to be honest, between the Rivers interception, the long misses, the Eckler fumble, it doesn't matter. They had so many times to convert to win on that game, and they didn't, so they didn't execute. And that's on the Chargers, and again, we don't blame the refs, but um, I just want to say that, you know, there's no panic here. One and one is fine. This isn't a game that we thought they would lose. Uh, this isn't a bad team. They'll probably be an average team, but they're on the road early and they just did not find a way to win this week. Yeah, they just, they laid an egg. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it happens. I mean, it happens to everybody. You know, we saw the Patriots get blown out, not get blown out, but they ended up losing in the last seconds on that flea flicker to the Dolphins and they won the Super Bowl, you know, so one game doesn't define a season. Uh, this was a bad loss, but um, it wasn't. Uh, it's not the end of the year for the Chargers, and they've got to bounce back this week, obviously, because they're playing the Texans. But uh, uh, not a, not a great look, and they just didn't get it done. 
So uh, the other thing that I wanted to touch on, and I was talking about a little bit earlier, it was uh, just basically some bad signs that I think is showing up on this defense for through the first two games. I think mistackling is an obvious issue. We saw it. I think most teams are having tackling issues at the beginning of the year. This happens every season. Guys are getting back in shape. They're getting ready to NFL speed. Mistackles happen. But to me, the more concerning part is the players are getting picked on. Uh, like I mentioned last week, I think teams are finding Thomas Davis in coverage and they're throwing right at him. It happened against the Colts with T.Y. Hilton. It happened again with the Lions. When the teams need a big play, they target Brandon Faison. Galladay had a day on Sunday, and they went after him because he was basically matched up with Faison most of the time. And it seems like in that intermediate passing game, teams know that they can get that passing game going in the middle of the field, and Rayshon Jenkins at the last level will probably miss, and they'll be able to tack on some extra yards. Jenkins got the interception, which was great. Uh, pretty bad decision by Stafford, but good play by Jenkins. But he had two big missed tackles. One of them was uh, he also got swallowed up on that screen by Carrion Johnson that went for six. It's a terrible he was the last angle. man again. He took an awful angle. Awful. And then Thomas Davis basically strolling into your picture at the end of that drive like he was even trying to get there. Uh, but he was never going to get there. In all honesty, it just seems like Thomas Davis right now through, three, through uh, two games is just making this defense so much slower. You know, with that big nickel last year and that extra DB that Gus had, it just made that defense so much faster than everyone else. He had athletes on the field. They were firing the ball. It was really a true advantage. And I honestly, I commended uh, Gus Bradley for the way that the Chargers finished that year because he was just so much faster and quicker. And hes I think he was the hero of that road win in Baltimore to get that extra DB on the field and then fight Lamar Jackson's speed with speed. And they won that game. And I thought that was excellent. And losing Derwin's not good, but still, they've still got athletes on this field and they still elect to go with Thomas Davis, who just looks slow-footed. He's 36 and he's just making it really like running through mud in the middle of this defense. They got to get more creative now that Adrian Phillips is out and Derwin is obviously out. But for me, I would, I would rotate a lot more Nasir Adderley because I think you've got to get more playmakers on the field at this point. With guys like Thomas Davis, Rayshon Jenkins, and Faison, it just seems like they're weak links in this defense at all three levels, or at least on the corners, in the middle, and at the free safety. And teams are starting to attack it now, and it just is starting to become a thing that's pretty common through two games. Yeah, uh, Faison's really struggling badly. You know, he's given up huge cushions and he's really slow out of his, his back pedal transitioning to break on the ball, uh, having a really hard time running with pretty much anybody right now. And you can definitely see teams targeting uh, Thomas Davis in the middle of the field. You know, I thought he was slow with his reads last week. It seemed like his reads were maybe a little bit better this week, but still, you know, making those tackles, those 14 tackles, you know, five, six, seven yards downfield. Yeah. He had a couple run stops. He had a couple plays against screens that were nice. Oh, but, that play against that screen was gorgeous. Yeah. He slipped that block and tackled him on the line of scrimmage. No, that was a great play. That's why I think, um, I think the speed, the foot speed, the athleticism is still there. I think the reads are not as crisp as they need to be. And I think the announcers mentioned during the game uh, that he's learning a new position. They're asking him to make different reads. And, and fill different responsibilities. And it seems like he's in his head and he's second guessing his reads and he's slow to break on the ball. And then he's compounding that by taking bad angles. So hopefully some of that stuff will get cleaned up, but he definitely has been a liability in the middle of the defense. And, you know, I, I completely agree with you. I, I know they only gave up 247 yards in the passing game 
this week, but they're giving up a ridiculously high completion percentage against opposing quarterbacks right now. Um, guys are just playing pitch and catch, and they're having a hard time stopping it outside of you know Des King and Casey Hayward. Nobody's really getting to the ball, and nobody's really making plays on the ball. You know, the only two plays they had on the football in, in the passing game on Sunday were the interceptions they had. Yeah. So uh, this is not a group that's playing particularly well. And there are big gaping windows to throw into, particularly in the middle of the field. And it's something that needs to be fixed. So we'll see what they do. You know, it sounds like they think uh, Jalen Watkins is going to be the next Adrian, Adrian Phillips. Phillips. Yeah. I'm not really sure he's that guy. But we'll see how they use him and, and how that plays out. Uh, I think we might need to see more of um, Drew Tranquil, which would not be hard to accomplish since we really haven't seen any any of them at all on defense. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point towards the middle of the season we saw a change at linebacker and the, the starting linebacker trio be Nwosu, Tranquil, and, and uh, White. I just think that's where the athleticism is. That's where the explosiveness is. And I think... With Tranquil and White on the field, it gives you a much better chance to cover up those windows in the middle of the field against the pass. It's something that Davis just isn't doing right now. I know they yeah. think he's you know he's been good in coverage his whole career. He's always been a guy who could run and cover, but it isn't happening right now. And maybe that improves if the reads start to improve and he starts to react a little bit faster. But right now, he's in his head. He's slow to react. He's taking bad angles, and it's killing him. So they got to figure out a way to fix that. It's it's a big problem. Yeah. No, definitely. So what else you got? Um, I I just noticed a couple of adjustments the team made um, on Sunday that, that I thought were pretty important. Uh, one of which was, you know, we would have expected probably more two tight end sets to help with the blocking. I mentioned this earlier. They were really spreading the Lions out with multiple receiver sets. We saw all the Chargers receivers come in with more than 40 snaps um, on Sunday. So they were really trying to get more playmakers on the field and and give Rivers an opportunity to get the ball out of his hand more quickly. And it seemed like it helped because the pass protection was much better than it was in week one against the Colts against what I thought was a better pass rushing defensive line that the, the, um, in the Lions versus what the Colts have. So it seemed like they did a better job. I mean, granted, they still had their issues. Tevi is awful. It seemed like he was chasing guys from behind the whole day. Uh, Scott had a couple bad snaps, but he was much better this week than he was last week. Absolutely. And it seemed like about halfway through the second quarter, they figured things out protection-wise, and you weren't seeing those free runs at Rivers through the A-gap. They cleaned that up, and they were buying him more time, and he was picking them apart. So that's one huge adjustment that I thought really paid dividends uh, in that game. Another one, more snaps for Ochenna Nwosu, which basically means the Chargers were in base defense a lot more often. Um, on Sunday than they were against the Colts the previous week. Uh, more Nuosu on the field. You saw um, Nuosu, Bosa, Ingram, Mebane all really play just fantastic games against the run. I think the Lions averaged less than four yards a carry in that game. They really, outside of a couple runs, a couple seven to ten yard runs, there really weren't any big runs in that game. They were tackling much better at the line of scrimmage for the most part. Uh, they were allowing Kaiser White to come up and make plays at the line of scrimmage. Joey was working his way up and down the line, making plays left and right in the running game. He had six tackles. Five of them were run stops at or near the line of scrimmage. Just amazing. Um, so th- that whole group played much better. And it, uh, who would have thought 
being bigger and and having your best players, your best and biggest players on the line to defend the run actually helps you defend the run. It's it's amazing. It's kind of a novel concept. Yeah, you know, I know it's uh, your turn to do your third storyline, but uh, I was going to talk about some of these uh, players on the line, and you you had mentioned Joey Bosa, and I think <clears throat> you know we got that question earlier about whether they're overrated or not. But even though the Chargers didn't get a sack, it w- you know, which again was kind of crazy without Taylor Decker. Joey Bosa had a huge effect on that game. You know, the stat sheet didn't show it. He had a six tackles, a half a tackle for a loss, but he created consistent pressure in the pocket. He was the main factor. The Lions couldn't get anything going on the ground. Carry uh, on Johnson had what forty-one rushing yards. He didn't have a single rush over double digits. The run game was so much better. He was resetting the line. He was clogging lanes. Uh, none of that showed up on the stat sheet, but on that rewatch, Joey Bosa was an absolute animal. And I know you know they kind of needed some help in the interior, but Joey Bosa was just wrecking shop on that offensive line, which isn't a bad one. Uh, so I thought even though he didn't get any sack and he didn't get home or get any sacks, he was really, really good on Sunday. You mentioned Trent Scott. I thought he was an absolute saloon door against the Colts. He was awful, but I thought he held his own against the Lions. Like you mentioned, he wasn't perfect. He had I, I counted four or five bad snaps, but for the most part, he didn't give up a sack, uh, didn't give up enough pressure that I noticed to even be mentioned. I watched the offensive line pretty closely, and – you know, they gave up that one sack, which was uh, when Ashawn Robinson lined up at the wide nine, which was wild, and Tevi just got forklifted uh, by Ashawn Robinson. But uh, I think they all did pretty well, um, much better than week one. And uh, one guy in particular was Dan Feeney, who I thought had a hell of a game. It was like the start of his lifetime. You talk about some of that adjustments. PFF gave him an elite grade. I wouldn't go that far, but it was definitely the best I've ever seen Dan Feeney. He looked absolutely great he was really good on that offensive line and then um you know i think casey hayward a guy we we're talking about a little bit earlier man he's a bit off to a hot start he had that interception which was gorgeous where he's basically getting mugged on his way down for that interception he's been really impressive through two games he might be i mean he looks kind of like the 2017 casey hayward right now he gave up that touchdown but he was all over was it galladay on that pass mm, marvin jones i think was right it jones Whoever, either Galladay or Jones, he was right there in coverage. It was a perfect throw by Stafford, but all day he was all over everybody. He was so good in coverage. He was really good against the Colt when he uh, played against the Colts. And then, of course, Keenan Allen, who had a really good stat line, uh, eight catches, 98 yards, uh, just looked great against Darius Slay, had a bad rep to start the game against Slay, had the bad rep to end the game against Slay, but that wasn't Keenan really Allen, Keenan's fault. No, it wasn't Keenan's fault, but still, Keenan Allen was really good. Uh, he's he looked great, and there there was a lot of guys that did some good things. I thought, you know, there was so much bad we we were talking about. I just wanted to give some shout outs and some uh, uh, good plays from some players on Sunday. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Uh, I actually thought Feeney was really good. I thought he was good against the Colts. I thought he was better against the Lions. He seems like he's really starting to get his legs under him and really uh, take that next step as an interior lineman, which is really important. Having him and Pouncey play side-by-side side and play as well as they are is extremely helpful. It's really kind of bailing out the rest of the line right now because they're taking <laughs> their men one-on-one, and it's allowing them to help help in other areas. Keenan, I mean, what do you say about that guy? He's always open, it seems like. it was. It's almost surprising when somebody's able to close on a ball and knock it out of his hands or keep him from making a catch. Uh, I will say though, and I know people don't want to hear this, but be careful with, with rivers, be careful with rivers. He is staring Keenan down on almost every pass attempt. He had several plays where he forced balls into double and even triple coverage. 
If there's two guys on Keenan, you know somebody's open somewhere else, and he's just staring him down and forcing balls into tight windows, and it's working. But at some point, it's going to be it's going to hurt them, and it, it hurt them on Sunday. But it's something that might take them out of a game much earlier than the fourth quarter, uh, like it did on Sunday. So it's something to watch. It's it's a I mean you want to get the ball to Keenan, but there are other guys out there too who can make plays. Right, and I do want to add, you know, on that interception on that last play that you mentioned. He Rivers was completely dialed in to Keenan Allen. He watched him the entire way. And I know that when you go back and watch it and you freeze frame, Mike Williams was wide open, but that free safety had help either way. So if Philip Rivers is an eye in Keenan Allen, he's got Mike Williams dead to right. So it's not like he was completely wide open. Now, if Rivers looks off the safety towards Allen and gets it to Mike Williams, that's a whole other story. But with context, the whole reason he was open was because Philip Rivers was completely dialed in on Keenan. He was he made his decision made at the snap. He knew he was going to Keenan Allen at the, the corner of the end zone. He said that Slay had his back to him, but still that's not a, a reason to make that throw anyway. But he was completely locked in, which brought the free safety over and uh, had him help. So, you know, it just seems like uh, everybody's talking. And I know uh, Virgil Green might have been open, but the the real problem is that Keenan or that uh, Philip Rivers had his mind made up as soon as he got the snap. Mm-hmm. You know, he it's, was going to Keenan. That's the, the problem, hero ball. right? But the but the whole uh, thing that I saw on Twitter about how Mike Williams was open. How could he not throw it to Mike Williams? Well, I mean, he was open only because he was eyeing Keenan Allen. Now, if he was going to Mike Williams and he looked him off. That would have been another story, but he was only open because of that. Fair, but if he looks at Keenan, maybe of gives course. a little pump fake and then comes and back to the middle to, of the field. Of course. Even with the safety behind him, the safety was 10 to 15 yards behind uh, Mike Williams there. I feel much better about Williams going up to make that play with two defenders in the area than I would about Keenan going up to make that play Of course, when he's bracketed as tightly as he was. So, yeah. You know, you're looking at percentages, you're looking at, you know, having to force the ball to the far side of the field into the corner of the end zone across the hash uh, versus throwing it up in the middle of the field to a 6'5 wide receiver. You know, there are a lot of things that go in there. And again, you know, uh, Virgil Green's wide open. There's a first down there probably if he catches it. Um, You know, you you get not wanting to throw the ball to Virgil in that situation, but there's a better there's a better decision to be made there than forcing it to Keenan when he's bracketed like that. I mean, there was nowhere to put that ball. Nowhere that yeah. would have given Keenan a chance to catch it. So, not a good decision. Um everybody makes bad decisions, it happens. Nobody's here saying, you know, burn it down, you know, cut Rivers, he sucks. We're not saying that. We're just saying that it was a pre-snap read that he never came off of. It was a bad decision. Detroit was ready for it and they paid for it. And it's something that with the way he was eyeballing Keenan all day long, other teams are going to be looking for it too. So they just need to be aware of that. All right. You got anything else you want to add? Well, I think we need to talk about the running backs again. We haven't talked about the running backs. Both those guys played exceptionally well. Uh, Eckler had another, I think, 130 yards of total offense. Granted, he did have the fumble down down by the goal line. Um, Maybe he went to the well one too many times trying to jump over the pile. But that's a situation where he's got his back to the defender. He couldn't see him. It happens. Guys fumble the ball. It happens. He took a hit he couldn't see coming, and he lost the ball. Unfortunate. Probably lets you know that maybe Eckler isn't the guy you want to be giving the ball to down around the goal line inside the five. I think that's something that will probably take care of itself. You'll probably wind up seeing Jackson and or Watt getting some of those carries moving forward. 
um, just to help move the pile a little bit more. But both, I mean, Eckler was so explosive in that game. He caught a couple big screen passes, really should have finished the game with two or three touchdowns. Uh, Jackson has the change of pace, averaging, I think, nine or 10 yards a carry again, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, just, it just seems like once he gets to that second level, he's going to make somebody miss, and you're looking at a 20 plus yard run. He's so much fun to watch. So, lots of weapons there in the backfield, and got to be making Melvin Gordon feel a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, definitely, man. They, uh, it doesn't look like they need him at all. Like, he'd just be in the way at this point because Eckler and Jackson just look so dynamic with the ball in their hand. And it seems like every run that Jackson's getting now, he's so effective. And I, he's not getting a lot. He's not getting a ton of yards. And, of course, the two big splash plays from both of them got wiped off the board. But, you know, it just seems like Jackson's getting his jo- job done every time he gets it by the end of the game. And Eckler is always one guy away from just breaking one. Mm-hmm. He looks so explosive. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the running game, uh, take two, still not missing Melvin Gordon at all. No, and, you know, the only real thing you can say at this point is, well, they needed him on the goal line. Um, but, you know. But I'm with you. It should be Jackson. Uh, I, I don't know so much about Watt, depending on where they're at. But I'm talking Jackson. in close. Inside right, the two, right, right. you're looking yeah. at Watt. Inside the five, you're probably looking at Jackson. Um, but yeah, I think that's something that'll probably work itself out here before too long. Sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us this time around. We appreciate you guys listening. Even after a disappointing loss, I'm at Garrisisti on Twitter, Jamie at lightning underscore round, and we will see you next time. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.